Good morning, church. God is good. All the time. You know he's good when you have a whole group of junior hires up here leading us in worship. Amen? Yeah. You can clap. Yeah. Good. We are a blessed church. That's for sure. Um, I didn't ask permission to do this, but... Uh, Today is Tom Kim's birthday. <laughs> Got his attention. He heard his name. He's like, what's John doing? I don't know. That guy's up to. But can we sing him happy birthday? Yeah. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Tom. Happy birthday to you. Yeah. Happy birthday, Tom. I'm still praying for your conversion from the Pittsburgh Steelers, but one day at a time. Follow Jesus, he'll get you there. All right. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Well, God is good, and um, I'm enjoying just marinating in the book of Ruth, and um, I want to encourage you as we go through this series just to do the same and, and just kind of keep going through those chapters. There's just new things all the time, different layers that kind of open up as we read the scriptures, but uh, I got a kick out of uh, uh, one of the magazines I subscribe to is called The Week. I don't know if you've heard of it. Maybe you read it, but it's nice because they pull together all the different articles around the world from different uh, news sources, and so I can go to one place and kind of catch up on things. And um, they have a contest in there and, and a question, and then they, they, they ask a question, and, and then it's a contest for people who can come up with the best answers. And the one this week was interesting. It says, an Israeli man recently requested a restraining order against God, saying that he was fed up with the Almighty treating him, quote-unquote, harshly and not nicely. So the Week magazine, magazine says, in no more than seven words, please come up with an advertising slogan for a law firm seeking to represent people with divine grievances. <laughs> True story. So... Maybe you can come up with a slogan and, and enter. Um, but it made me think about Ruth chapter 1. The first week we were together in Ruth, it made me think about Naomi. It made me think about how she was feeling and the great losses that she and her daughter-in-laws, Ruth included, um, had experienced in the loss of their husbands and being in Moab and being away from home, except for Ruth, of course. And and the wailing, if you remember, the loud wailing and crying that was going on and the deep grieving they were experiencing. And then Naomi to say, you know, the Almighty had made her life bitter. She, in a sense, I think, had a grievance with God. Confused about what had been happening in her life. She'd said, the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And if you remember, she said when she came back to Bethlehem, came back to her people, she said she had come back empty. And yet, I suggested to you that in reality, she'd come back quite full 
because she had come back with Ruth. And little did she know that God was working through this foreigner, through this Moabite, through her daughter-in-law, to bring about God's favor, God's kindness, God's providence. Not only for Naomi, but for the whole world. Ultimately through the life of Christ in which Ruth is a part of that genealogy. And so there she was with the kindness of God. You might remember that word chesed, that Hebrew word for kindness. The equivalent to the New Testament agape, that sacrificial uh, love. There, there was God's chesed in the person of Ruth next to Naomi coming back. Coming to a place where Ruth said, I will leave my, my home. I will leave my people. Your people will now be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you go, I will go. And so there they were. It says at the end of chapter 1 that when they returned, they were arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And so we find ourselves now in chapter 2 of the story. And, and as we read through this story, I want you to, we need to pay special attention to the narrator of the story the one who's writing this story, the one the Holy Spirit impressed to write. So we have it in our scriptures today because the narrator gives us insights so that we know that God is doing things, that he's up to things. Remember what Jesus said, and I mentioned it before, that the Father is always what? At work. The Father is always at work. Even when we don't think he's doing anything and we wonder what he's up to and we wonder if he's doing anything at all, He's always doing something. And that's why we can rest, too. We can rest because the Father's always working. And we know that when we work for the kingdom, our work is never in vain because we work with the Father. And we work in the context of his grace. And remember, grace is always favor. Grace is always active, and grace is always taking the initiative. We're going to come back to that a little bit more. And so we find ourselves in chapter 2. The book of Ruth, verse 1 says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing, or a nobleman, from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. He's setting us up for the story here. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes... I find favor. And Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, that's a key phrase right there, as it turned out, or your translation may say, as it happened to be, the Hebrew word brings it out even more like when fate Faded, or when chance chanced, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Now remember, our narrator was setting this up. 
Our narrator in verse 1 said that Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a noble man, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So he's telling this, this so that when we get to see what God is up to, we'll see that it wasn't just chance. It didn't just happen to be, but that God was already at work at something. And so there she was. She went out, entered a field, began to glean behind the harvesters, and as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Do you know that your life is full of divine encounters? Full of them. Some of them more recognizable than others. But because God is very involved in your life and in my life, and in the life of every human being on the face of this planet. Our life is full of divine encounters. Sometimes we miss them. Sometimes we're not even aware they're happening. Sometimes we don't know that they happened until time has gone by. But divine encounters, that's what's happening here. I thank God for a divine encounter in my life that happened almost 35 years ago. And her name is Lisa. And it was a divine encounter. Now, she's still trying to be convinced of that, but, <laughs> but God was gracious to me. And uh, not that I'm encouraging this, but um, I have three other siblings who are older than me, and, you know, they graduated academy. They went to one of our universities, one of our colleges, which is a wonderful thing to do. But for some reason, I just decided not to do that. And so I decided to stay locally and go to a community college, do some general eds, and then to transfer. And, uh, of course, my parents were a little nervous because um, I know my mom was nervous. She's a praying woman. And she thought, oh, my goodness, he's going to marry a Moabite. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to marry some heathen woman. What are we going to do? But when they got... When they wrote that check for that first semester's tuition, and it was $75 for 15 units, <laughs> I think they rejoiced a little bit. <laughs> and they might, I think they probably said, God's up to something, you know, he's doing something. So, yes, I met a heathen woman. <laughs> I, met a, I met a Moabite. Um, and it was a divine encounter. And I, I know I've shared this story before, but our, we were in a business class together. And we had assigned seats. And her maiden name was Lagos. And L and C don't go next to each other when you have assigned seats. Except that instead of like going across, we had rows like this. And so the teacher decided to do it this way. So L and C went right next to each other. And I can tell you that I was not supposed to be in that class to learn business. Because I did not enjoy it. I was there to meet my wife. And uh, we met, and she helped me when my debits didn't equal my credits and all those types of things. We got that worked out. But um, little did we know that uh, God would lead us how he's led us and, and uh, divine encounter. And we all have those divine encounters. And they're still happening. They're happening this coming week. And they happen at work, and they happen at school, and they happen at home, and they happen when we're out just doing the mundane of life, the everyday, ordinary stuff, it happens. And that's what's happening here. 
God is up to something. It just so happened. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. Listen to how he greets his workers. The Lord bless, uh, the Lord be with you. And his employees say, the Lord bless you. You know, I want to bring this out because this is a big part of our story. Because it tells us the type of man that Boaz was. And we're going to continue to see the type of person he is as we go through. Now, I want to remind you the times they were living in. If you remember the very beginning of this book, it says that this happened during the time of the judges. And if you've ever read the book of Judges, it's not pretty. A lot of immorality, a lot of problems, a lot of people not following God, even the leaders. And that last verse of the book of Judges tell us it was a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So remember that context of the times they are living in. And now look at how Boaz is living his life. A noble man. A man who, when he comes to his fields and he comes to his workers, he says, the Lord be with you. And they respond, the Lord bless you. Boaz, as we're going to see, knew Yahweh. He knew the covenant God and he lived in that relationship and it impacted how he treated others. It impacted how he treated his servants and his employees and we're going to see how it it impacted how he treats Ruth. And so he's living in the context of that covenant relationship with God. And to understand what was happening here in the harvesting and in the gleaning, the book of Leviticus tells us in chapter 19, that God said in Levitical laws that when you are harvesting your fields, you are supposed to leave the edges. Why? For the poor. For the people who don't have food. Leave the edges. Leave a little bit behind. And that's what Ruth was doing. It was part of the law. And so she would go out knowing that those who were harvesting would be leaving some of the edges and she could get some food for her and Naomi. And so Boaz was doing this. Verse 5 says, Boaz, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here for, from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. You see how he's already enfolding her. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the waters the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me? A foreigner. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. Then listen to this prayer and this blessing in verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord. The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
Boaz pronounces this blessing and, in a sense, this prayer for Ruth. And do you see again the context in which he's living? He's not just saying, oh, come here and I hope you're taken care of. Because he's in covenant relationship with this God of grace and this God of chesed, this God of kindness, this God of favor, he is extending this to Ruth, a foreigner. He is drawing her in and he says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz recognizes that she has come and she is now part of this covenant community and she is now to take refuge in the shelter of God. But he also knows that he doesn't just believe that and hopes that for her. He believes and knows that because he's in covenant relationship with God, God wants to work through Boaz to do that very work. Boaz, God provides through Boaz his very providence, his care, his goodness for Ruth. You know, this is a prayer that, that we can pray for ourselves. We can pray that God would help us grow in understanding his covenant care for us, his providence, his goodness for us that we would understand more of his kindness, that we would rest in his kindness, that we would rest, take, take cover under his wings, take refuge under his wings, knowing that his eyes are on the sparrow and his eyes are on you and me. That we can rest in that. But he also invites us to be that for others. You see, Boaz understood that when you are in a relationship with God and you're in a covenant with God, first and foremost, it's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant of grace, one, because we did not seek God, God sought us out. That's grace, that's favor, that's chesed, that's kindness. And it's a covenant of grace because it's about a gracious relationship. God sought us out not just to do something. He sought us out because he wanted to be in relationship with us. And so in that covenant of grace, God also invites us into a rhythm and a pattern of life and a way of life that helps us grow in our love with him and helps us also extend that covenant kindness to the people we cross paths with. Just to show favor and to kindness. Not because they deserve it, but because that's the way God is. Now, I want to discuss something here this morning that if you've been raised in the Adventist church, been in the Adventist church for a while, you will, you'll recognize this. I want to talk about the law a little bit. Um, we have a picture of Moses. That was uh, one of the first selfies ever to be taken. <laughs> Moses looked a lot like Charles, Charlton Heston. Um, actually, I think he had a GoPro mounted up on Mount Sinai. And uh, there it is. Posted it on Instagram so everybody could see it. And uh, no, anyways, I thought I'd have a little fun with that. But let's go to the next one. So here we have the Ten Commandments. And most of us are pretty familiar with these, right? 
These are all summarized, but thou shalt have no other gods before me, not take thee any graven images, not take the Lord's name in vain. As Adventists, we know the fourth one really well. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. One of my personal favorites, number five, honor your father and your mother. Hint, hint. Um, Number six, don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. And don't covet your neighbor's stuff, right? Now we can look at this and as Adventists sometimes, I know growing up anyways, just some of the baggage, the good and the bad, is that it's like, okay, I'm supposed to keep these things. And sometimes when we get extreme, we can be like, I have to keep all of these things, otherwise I might not even make it to heaven. Or if I don't keep them, God doesn't accept me. There isn't one person in this room, including the person behind the pulpit, who can ever keep this perfectly. Do we understand that? That's why there was a cross. The cross told us that only one person could do that. His name is Jesus. And he's redeemed us. But now here's the beauty of the law. See, when we understand that the law is not about a thing to keep, we understand that if we're in covenant relationship with God, this is a pattern of life that helps us grow in the kindness of God and extend the kindness of God. Do you see that? The first three help us grow in trusting God. It helps us remember the first thing that's supposed to be the first thing of our life. This whole world and this whole life that we were created for was for salvation, was to be part of salvation history, to be saved and to be part of the saving history of others. And when we put God first, when we worship him and we say he is number one and we give our life to him, it helps us grow and trust in his chesed and his kindness and his favor. And when we understand Sabbath, Sabbath is not a thing of, okay, I've got to do this, I can't do this, I've got to do this. Sabbath at the heart of it is there to help us stop. Do we need to stop in this life every once in a while? God said you need to stop every seven days. He knows us, he created us, you need to stop. You need to stop, you need to rest. And you don't need to stop and rest so that you can be a servant to the master of capitalism, (laughs) You need to stop so you can remember you are a created being and God is your creator. And you need to remember what this life is about. It's about God and people. And Sabbath helps us remember where true north is for our life. So as we live our life during the week, we live centered on God's goodness and favor. Knowing what he's done and what he wants us to do. And the rest of these... Help us extend the chesed of God, the kindness of God, right? Honor your father and mother. Don't kill anyone. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false. Don't lie. Don't covet. If you do those things, you'll probably be extending some kindness, right? (laughs) Those things keep us from extending the kindness of God. It's a beautiful thing. Let's look at the next slide. I enjoyed this. I just had to put this in there. No extra cost today. The hillbilly Ten Commandments. It's not in the order of the original, but but there ain't but one God. I like this. Honor your ma and pa. No telling tales or gossiping. Now this one, you know, get your hide to Sunday meeting. We'd say Sabbath meeting, right? Ain't nothing coming before the Lord. No fooling with another feller's gal. 
No killing, except for critters. I like that one. <laughs> Quit your foul mouthing. No swiping your kinfolk stuff. And don't be hankering for it neither. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, let's go to the next slide. I love this because they're street signs. At the heart of it, when we think of the Ten Commandments, we think of the law and all of that, it's loving God and loving people. And so when we're looking for direction sometime in our life, it's Monday morning, where am I? I'm going to work. Okay, well, as I go, I'm going loving God and I'm going loving people. And when I do that, not not only am I living in the kindness and favor of God, I'm extending it. This is what Boaz is doing. He was living, he was practicing the laws of God because he was in that covenant relationship with God. And so he was leaving things on the edges of his harvest for the poor. But you see, then he goes on. He goes on in verse 13. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, Ruth says, my Lord, she said. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain, and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. And as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some more stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. You see, he wasn't a legalist. A legalist looks at the law and say, what's the minimum I have to do? What are, the, what, are the, what are the borders? Where's the lines? And I want to stay within those lines. God did not give us the law to be legalists. God gave us the law to be generous and to be profoundly kind and favorable towards people. And so that's what Boaz does. He goes above and beyond because he knew the covenant God was go, always going above and beyond towards them and as he does to us. So even pull out some stalks from, for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening and then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah, about 30 pounds. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered and Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. And now it gets fun even more. Her mother-in-law in verse 19 asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Now remember, she doesn't know yet. We know, because the narrator told us way back at verse 1. So Naomi asked, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Now Naomi, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative and he is one of our guardian redeemers, one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now, remember, it wasn't too long ago that Naomi was bringing up, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. In her grieving and in her sadness, she couldn't see that God was still working, that God was busy and God was working, that God never stops his chesed. He never stops his kindness in spite of our circumstances. And here it was. She began to see, and now she says, wait a minute, her song changes. She says of God in verse 20, 
He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She recognized it. God was doing something. That man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Now, we're going to really unpack the guardian redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, next week when we look at chapter 3. That's the focus of chapter 3. But basically, just to give you a little hint, if you're not aware, that when a woman's husband died, it was the responsibility of that man's family to marry his wife, his widow, so that she would be taken care of. So she would not be left to fend to herself, but that she would be taken care of. And so here Boaz is a relative of Elimelech. So not only did it just happen that she was in that field so that God could provide her needs and Naomi's needs for food, but God was always taking care of more than they could understand. In a sense, God is saying, don't worry, not only do I have your food taken care of, but I've got so much more taken care of for you way down the road. So much so, not only just in Ruth's lifetime, but all the way into our lifetime. Because if you remember, as I mentioned in the benediction a couple weeks ago, and we're not going to look at it right now, but sometime look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. And as you read through that genealogy, starting with Abraham, you come across Ruth and Boaz. And then you find out that it was through them that David gets born with Obed and then David, the king, and then eventually from there to Jesus. So not only was God saying, I'm going to provide you barley, I'm going to provide your salvation. Someday you and I are going to be on this new earth with Ruth and Boaz. Isn't that going to be incredible? They're going to go, who are these people? (laughs) Well, little did you know, When you thought God wasn't up to something, he was really up to something. And here we are. So Ruth, thanks for being faithful to Naomi. And Boaz, thanks for not being a legalist, but extending the favor of God into Ruth's life. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. Verse 21, then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. You know, It's going to be fun to watch Naomi because you can already see the twinkle in her eye when she says, it will be good for you, my daughter, because she becomes quite the matchmaker in the rest of the story. And it's going to be fun to watch. But here's a little thing we might not think of. In verse 23, it said that she stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. The barley harvest was about two months long. It started about April or May. And then a couple weeks later, the wheat harvest would start, and that was only a couple months long. So she harvested for about four months. So can you imagine? They're thinking, God has provided. We've got four months covered. But then that twinge of worry, that twinge of anxiety of what happens when the four months are over. What do we do now? The harvests are done. 
Isn't it good to know, they don't know yet, but we know, that God's thought past the four months, years, millennia past the four months. Wherever we are in our life, it's good to live in the providence of God. And as we live in that providence of God, he invites us to be part of his providential care in the lives of others that we cross in this life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being our redeemer, for being our God, a God that wants to be in covenant relationship with us, that wants us to take refuge under your wings and know that, that you're enough and that you can take care of us so well we can't even imagine how well you take care of us. May we find rest in you this morning, trust in your care. And as we experience your favor, your kindness, not because of anything we've done, but just because that's who you are, may we be generous. May we be generous towards others and extend and live out of that covenant relationship with you, your chesed, your kindness, your favor. Not because of anything they did, but because that's who we are. Would you take a moment now just in silent prayer to talk with God about what he's placing on your heart this morning. And now as we go, may we go confident taking refuge under his wings and his provision for our lives. And may we go with courage extending the kindness of God so they sense the shelter of his wings as well.